0: Amen. If you would join me in John chapter 20, that'll be our passage of scripture uh, for the message this morning. You can find that on page 760 uh, in the Bible that's there in front of you in the pew. And we'll follow along with that in a few moments. Today is a special day, and that should be obvious by the fact that I'm wearing a suit this morning. Uh, I typically only wear a suit if it's... Uh, someone's wedding or their funeral so if someone's getting married or buried I'm wearing a suit so if you see me in one of these typically it means that someone's life is over as they know it all right a lot of smart husbands in this service didn't laugh out loud at that one good job guys next week I won't be wearing a suit I'll be back in what I typically wear on Sunday mornings a little bit more casual but today I'm wearing a suit because it's Easter also because my wife wanted me to be wearing a suit in our family photo uh, that we would take. And today's a little special. Uh, it's it's a special Sunday. And the reason that this Sunday is special, it's the one Sunday of the year that we emphasize more than any other day, Jesus' resurrection. And we emphasize it one day a year because if every day is special, then no day is special, right? But here at our church, we gather every Sunday because Jesus rose from the dead on a Sunday. That's the reason we gather when we do. And every Sunday we celebrate his resurrection and his power and his transformation that he provides to us. And so that's something we do on a weekly basis and we would love for you to be a part of that weekly journey of celebrating Jesus and the transformation that he brings in our lives. But today is Easter Sunday. So I'm expected to wear a suit And I'm also expected to preach especially good today. There's a little bit extra pressure on me to deliver a sermon that's just a little bit funnier and a little bit more engaging and a little bit more powerful than usual, which is hard because it's usually so great. So to go above that is even more difficult. The truth is that one of my values is that there are no ordinary Sundays because every Sunday could be someone's Sunday. And so every week, we try to proclaim the gospel in a clear and compelling way here. And I'm going to be trying, just try to be faithful to do what I do every Sunday this morning. Because I believe that we're called to regularly proclaim the message of Jesus. And I think that not only is something that, that's something that we should do every Sunday, I think it's something that we should do every day. And it shouldn't just be the preacher who proclaims it, but everyone who proclaims it. And that's the reason that next Sunday we're starting a new series called My Story. And we're going to talk about the stories of some of the people here in our church and how Jesus has changed their lives. I'd love for you to be a part of that. Because God can work through ordinary people. That's actually what he's doing in John chapter 20, in the text that we're about to read. Jesus is meeting with his closest followers, his disciples, on the day that he rose from the dead. The passage of scripture that Pastor Eric read to us this morning to start off the service is the very beginning of Easter Sunday. Jesus makes several appearances that day, and then he makes an appearance that night to his disciples, his closest followers. And these would be the ordinary people who God would use to start the church. It would become the largest and longest standing organization the world has ever known. And he's meeting with these guys, not because they're titans of industry, or because they're military captains, or because they have some secret technology, how they're gonna do this. He's meeting with fishermen and tradesmen. They're ordinary, everyday people like you and me. And when he meets with them, they're not even on the verge or near ready to be the ones who will proclaim this message. Because when he shows up, they're afraid and cowering, hiding behind a locked door. Let's read those verses together in John chapter 20 and verse 19. Then the same day, the same day that Jesus rose from the dead, at evening, being the first day of the week, when the doors were shut, where the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews. Jesus came and stood in the midst and said to them, Peace be with you. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. And the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. So Jesus said to them again, Peace to you. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive, receive, The Holy Spirit If you forgive the sins of any They are forgiven them If you retain the sins of any They are retained Do you know that feeling That feeling of dread When you're trying to get somewhere You got things on your agenda Things you need to do Maybe you're running a little late for work Already You're already behind And the day has just started And you're round a corner And there you see a police officer Next to the road And you think Oh man and before you even look at your speedometer, you're like, I'm in trouble. Yeah. Now, if you're here today, it means you drove into Chandler, which means I know you have experienced this because every time you drive into Chandler, there is a cop by the road waiting for you. You feel that dread like, oh man. Sometimes a cop will pull behind you and you're terrified and you've got nothing wrong. You're like, oh man, the police have caught me driving down the road for some of you, this fear is multiplied because you've had some interactions with the police that didn't go great. The disciples were feeling that dread and that fear times hundred. And they weren't afraid of being caught for doing something wrong. They were afraid of being caught because they were friends with Jesus who they'd just seen be arrested, unjustly tried, tortured, and then executed. And the disciples are afraid and hiding, and Jesus shows up with them. And when he shows up with them, he shows up with his closest followers, but I didn't say his most faithful followers, because they hadn't been very faithful. The last time that Jesus had seen them, it had been moments of frustration and fear, moments of abandonment and forsaking. The disciples had told Jesus, we're with you no matter what happens. But when Jesus was arrested, they all scattered and fled. And the scriptures tell us that one of the disciples ran so afraid that as he was running, a a branch grabbed his cloak and yanked it off of him. And he kept running without any clothes. Peter, who was the one who's the most vocal, saying, Lord, I I will be with you no matter what. I will never forsake you. He gets so upset when people ask him if he knows Jesus that he curses and says, I don't know the man. These disciples had all run afraid. They had forsaken Jesus. They had denied that they knew him. Now, as they have gathered together, Jesus shows up. Now, it might be that when you walk through the doors this morning, you felt a little uneasy you felt a little anxious because you and God haven't been on good terms. It's been a while since you spoke with him. And the last time you did speak with him, you didn't say kind words. You said unkind words about him. It might be that this morning you feel shame because you've turned your back on God. You've rejected him. You've run from him. I want you to know you're in good company. Because it was in a group just like that that Jesus appears on that first Easter Sunday. And he walks into their midst. He doesn't stay on the fringes or on the peripheral, he doesn't stay distant from them, but rather he walks right up to them and is in their midst. He walks up to his forsaking, fleeing, fearful friends. So I hope you take comfort this morning that no matter your failures, no matter your shame. That Jesus desires to be in your midst. He wants to be among us today. These disciples, they would spend this evening with Jesus, not because they earned it, because no one ever had a presence with Jesus because they deserved it. No one back then or even today has Jesus' presence in their life because it's their right to. Or because they've purchased it. Or because they've earned it through all the things that they've done. Anytime Jesus shows up to anyone, anywhere, it is out of grace and generosity. He owes no one anything. This morning, we have the opportunity to experience his presence here with us now because he is still gracious and generous Jesus showing up in the midst of the disciples is an act that shows that he doesn't wait for us to get our act together it wasn't after the disciples had come out of hiding that he comes to them he goes to where they are Jesus comes to us in our very moments of fear and failure Jesus comes to where they're at where the door is locked and he shows up and by the way I love that the disciples lock the door they're running from the Roman Empire they're terrified that the authorities are going to find them and they get in this room and they lock the door I just imagine them like all gather again and click okay we're all safe. we're safe now it's all right Jesus surpasses that locked door and appears in their midst And he doesn't do so because he's a ghost and he can walk through walls. He shows them the nail prints in his hand. He has a resurrected body, but he's able to be where he desires. But I want you to know that while Jesus shows up in the presence of the disciples, he appears in their midst, coming through, surpassing this locked door. I want you to know that Jesus doesn't barge in where he is not wanted. He isn't rude. He isn't assuming. He doesn't push himself upon anyone. Spurgeon points out that at this gathering and the appearance of Jesus right before this, where he appears to do two disciples who are walking on the road to Emmaus, in both situations, people are there. They're talking about Jesus. The disciples on the road aren't talking about baseball or politics. They're talking about Jesus and everything that's happened. Jesus, when he first appears to him to them, they don't recognize him. And he says, what are you speaking of? They, don't you know about all that's happened in Jerusalem these days? The disciples who have gathered in this room and locked the door, they're talking about what they've heard and what they've seen, that Jesus' tomb is empty. and Now he has appeared to some of the disciples. These were people that were looking for Jesus and interested in him. And Jesus shows up in the lives of people who are looking for him. So this morning, you can be in a room full of people looking for Jesus, and they find him. But if you don't want to find him, you won't find him. You can be in a room full of people who are experiencing Jesus' presence because they want that in their lives. But if you don't want it, he won't force it upon you. Now, I believe that deep down in your heart, there's a longing to have Jesus present in your life. I believe that every one of us has that desire, has that need, but it might be that that desire in your life is covered up with layers of shame, and frustration, and despair. Perhaps you've been disappointed by hope before, and so you don't dare hope because you don't want to be disappointed once again. There's a great op-ed in the New York Times this weekend written by Pastor Esau McCauley. He grew up in poverty. and He writes that he lived in despair and that in his school, whenever teachers tried to give he and his classmates hope, that they would push against it. He said, when our teachers would help us with inspirational speeches about the power of our minds and our potential to be more than athletes or criminals, we often mock them. And we wondered, how dare they interrupt our despair with hope? You see, despair is comfortable. It's easier. It's easier to live in a posture of nothing good happens. In the article, he he points out something I'd never really considered before. He says that he, he identifies with Judas, the disciple who betrayed Jesus. He says, I identify with him and I've always kind of felt badly for him because he commits suicide before Jesus' resurrection. And I've wondered if Judas had lived to see the resurrection of Jesus, if his despair would have been overcome and they would have been reconciled. Macaulay says that he's just lucky that his despair and the ways that he treated his despair didn't destroy him before he came to know the hope of Jesus, A few years ago, you might have heard about this in the news. It was kind of a big deal. This was before COVID. Researchers were trying to figure out why the American life expectancy, which had been going longer and longer and longer for years, was suddenly getting shorter and shorter. And what they discovered is that though we had more medicines to overcome diseases, and we had more advanced techniques for treating cancer and heart disease. On average, people were living less because there were so many people dying from what they called deaths of despair. Deaths from suicide, overdose, or addiction-related deaths. Those deaths of despair were taking people out at younger ages. My fear this morning is that if you're here today and you have this despair, that you're not willing to risk hope because of your despair. My fear is that your despair will destroy you before you have the opportunity to come to know hope. Just in the last month, we've seen people die these deaths of despair before they came to know hope. It's heartbreaking. Friend, Jesus wants to show up in your life. And it might be that you have the door closed to him. And you've got it locked. And you've got the chair against the door. Because you don't want Jesus to be a part of your life. Friend, he won't barge in. And he won't force himself upon you. But he's there. And he's knocking. There's a passage in. The book of Revelation, it's actually written to a church that's forgotten what it's about. They've forgotten Jesus. And there's a picture of Jesus standing on the outside of this church, knocking on the door, saying, I wish that you would let me in. If you would let me in, I would come in and I would be present with you. I would, I would have dinner with you. I would fellowship with you. And this is tragic scene of a church that has gotten so off mission that they've forgotten about Jesus so he's there knocking at the door. And I think the same thing is true about our lives. Jesus wants to be a part of our lives. But we've become so distracted with everything else that we've forgotten about him. And he's there knocking at the door waiting for us to let him in. And Friend, I hope that you will let him in. That you will listen for that knock at the door. Because when Jesus arrives, he brings with him peace. Verse 19 says, Jesus appeared in the midst and said, peace be with you. Have you ever had someone tell you to calm down? How did that go? Right. You ever had someone say, don't worry about it. And you're like, oh, great idea. I'm, I'm just not going to worry about it. This thing that I was terrified of. I'm just not going to worry about because you gave me that great advice. It's not really helpful. It's like someone is out there drowning and you're yelling at them. Hey, swim! Swim! Hey, they would if they could. Yelling, calm down. Don't worry. Or swim. It's not helpful. When Jesus shows up and he says peace to the disciples, he's not just giving them advice. He makes it possible. You see, when Jesus shows up, it's after his death, crucifixion, burial, and resurrection. When he shows up, he's making it possible for us to be reunited with God. Ephesians chapter 2 tells us that he himself is our peace because he destroyed enmity on the cross. Enmity is the thing that hangs in the air when you've had words with someone. Now, maybe you're here and there's someone else that you're with and you, you had an argument this morning. Maybe on the way to church, that happens, right? But you, you're here and Pastor Daniel's like, all right, let's pretend like everything's fine, right? And we're going to greet everybody when we walk in the church because it's Easter, you know? But it's still hanging in the air. And when you get back to the car, you're going to pick up right where you left off, right? That thing hanging in the air is enmity. It might be that there's someone in your life that you're upset with them and they don't even know it. And you pretend like everything is fine, but every time you're around them, that thing is hanging in the air and you'll never have the relationship with them that you could until that thing is settled. Scripture teaches us that there's enmity between us and God. That there's there's this thing hanging in the air between us and Him. And what Jesus did on the cross was conquer that. He takes the enmity out of the way. So we're able to have fellowship with him once again. And what Jesus does on the cross is make it possible for us to have peace. And he overcomes not only what is attempting to separate us from God, but also to kill us or drown us. You ever thought about the fact that swimming is just constantly overcoming what's trying to kill you? And because if you stop treading water or swimming, you sink. And it isn't because the lake or the pond or the pool that you're in has it out for you. It's not personal. It's just in its nature. It's the nature of it. that if you're not swimming, you're not treading water, you're not floating, you're sinking. The nature of this world, the nature of this life is to swallow us up to take us down. I grew up in, in Nashville, Tennessee and moved to Virginia Beach when I was 13. My father was transferred. No longer after we moved there, I went, went to the beach and we went with some guys who, who knew how to bodyboard and we intentionally went right after a tropical storm because we knew the waves would be big. And I got out there in the water and I was having a great time, but then I got sideways on a wave. And it toppled me over and over and over like I was in the spin cycle of a washing machine. And finally, I stopped because my face was scraping against the sand of the beach. And I stood up and I couldn't believe how far down the shore it had carried me. I suddenly had a new appreciation and respect for this powerful force of nature if I wasn't careful, would kill me. Friend, I want you to know this world wants to swallow us whole, to take us down. And when Jesus shows up, after having gone to the cross and raising from the dead, Instituting that first Easter. We celebrate Easter because what he did was a full and complete conquering of the nature of this world to conquer sin, death, hell, and the grave. And he made it possible for us to have peace. He brings peace and he brings joy. Verse 20 says Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. When Jesus gives us peace, joy comes along with it. It's like the fries that come along with the hamburger in the combo. When you have peace, you then experience his joy. And the disciples are glad because God has given them peace, but also because there's this reunion and there's relief. They see his hands and his feet. They see the hole in his side. They know that this is the same guy they watched die on a cross a few days before And now they're reunited with him. You know, there's probably some people that if they walk through the back door right now, you would be overjoyed to see them. Friends and family that you love, that you haven't seen in a long time, that you've been separated from them, and you would be overjoyed. You would be glad to see them. Then there's probably some people that if they walk through the back door, you'd be like, I cannot believe that person is here right now. an old boss, an old teacher, someone that you do not want to see. And then there are people in your life that if you see them, you're like, oh, hey. And that's really it. Like, like you're not upset, but you're not also really excited. You just know them. Friend, for, for the followers of Jesus, seeing Jesus is, is being reunited with our friend. Jesus' presence is a wonderful thing. And if you don't know him, it might be that you think that Jesus showing up is like that old cranky boss or teacher showing up. Or if you're indifferent to him, it's that person you barely really know or care about. And if you're somewhere on that spectrum, friend, know that Jesus, when you know him, it is a beautiful and wonderful thing to experience his presence. It brings us joy. He brings peace, he brings joy, he brings purpose. Verse 21, Jesus said to them again, Peace to you, as the Father has sent me, I also send you. You know, the the disciples weren't morons, but they spent a good portion of Jesus' ministry like really confused about what was happening. And that reached an all-time level when Jesus is arrested and then killed and they don't know what they're going to do. But in this moment, when Jesus gives them their purpose and their calling, never again would they be in the dark about what they were supposed to do. There would be times that they weren't sure the right city to go to next or the right way to handle a specific situation, but they always knew what their calling and purpose in life was. God gave them clarity of purpose in this moment. I don't know about you, but I'm constantly wondering, like, what am I going to be when I grow up? And then I go, oh, I am a grown-up, right? The world is confusing. There's so many messages out there today, so many stories that are told, so many people telling us what we should do, how we should act, what we should be upset about, what we should be happy about, who we should vote for, what we should buy. There are constant messages blaring at us all of the time. But when Jesus shows up, it gives us a clarity that we can find nowhere else. It makes it obvious what our purpose is, what our mission is. There are people that have served this week, long and hard hours, volunteering. People who were here very early this morning, helping set up, and they do so happily and clear because God has called them to it. I want you to open the door to Jesus because he brings peace and joy and purpose and also power. Verse 22 says, when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. Now this might seem kind of odd. He says something and he breathes on them, Like, right? Like if you had walked in the church this morning And I said, hey, happy Easter. (sighs) Right? It'd be strange. Jesus does this, but he's illustrating something. And these these guys that he's with, they're all Jews. They would have grown up in Jewish households where they would have been strongly encouraged to memorize the works of Moses, and maybe some of them didn't memorize all of it. But They probably all had to start, and they memorized the first couple chapters that give us the creation account, and it tells us that God created Adam and breathed into him the breath of life. And what Jesus is doing in this moment is he's breathing into them, not the breath of creation, but the breath of a new creation. Not the breath of life, but the breath of new life. He's giving them power. And they would be able to accomplish these incredible things. So it would be said of them that they were turning the world upside down. And they weren't able to do that because they were so talented or gifted or so well-connected or so rich. It would be because God gave them the power to do so. what they would do in the lives they would leave, the impact they would have, is because of God. And this morning, if there's anything in what I am saying or what has happened in our service where the Spirit connects with you and calls to you, it's not because of us. It's not because of my ability or my power. It is only through the Lord speaking through us. It is the power of His Spirit. Because I might be able to deliver a sermon that you find interesting or funny or helpful, but only the Spirit of God can give you the hope that your heart is desperate for. That's why we're desperate for His power. And the Scriptures teach us that those who follow Him, that the same power that raised Jesus from the dead is at work in us. That's power. And the life that Jesus has called me to, it's only possible because he gives me the power to live that life. And any failings, that's me. And any successes, that's him. And then the last verse, I'm, I'm tempted to leave it out of the Easter sermon to, to wrap up a little soon, but I think it's important because many people have misunderstood and misapplied this verse. Because verse 23 says, if you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. And you could read that and and you could take away from that. Okay, well, the the apostles are those who are the leaders in the church, that they have the power to forgive sins. So if I want my sins to be forgiven, I need to come to Pastor Daniel and talk to him, and he will forgive my sins. No. Friend, I don't have the power to forgive your sins. Because your sins weren't against me. They were against God. Only God can forgive you of your sins. What Jesus is saying is, I am commissioning you, I am sending you out to take this message of my sacrifice for their sins and my resurrection and conquering of death, hell, and the grave. And whoever listens to your words and believes them, their sins will be forgiven. You see, Jesus showed up there with them that day, and I wish I could have been there. But Jesus would go on to say, The blessed are those who believe without having seen. And he would say that these words that he is giving to them that will be repeated by the apostles and by the church leaders and by pastors and worship leaders and anyone who loves you enough to share with you the truth of the gospel, that those words, if you believe them, they're not just the words of this preacher. They're the words of hope and life. They're the words of Jesus. And if you put your trust in them, they give you peace with God and joy and purpose and power. But if you refuse them, you're refusing the invitation of Jesus and you're refusing his peace and power. This moment is important, not because I'm important, not because our church is important, But because the words of Jesus are important. And if you walk out from here and you forget all about us, but you remember the words of Jesus, that'll be answered prayer. Because the words of Jesus, if you believe them, you'll experience his presence in your life, have come into your midst, have come in the middle of of your failures, and your fear, and your despair. And he'll bring his peace, and his joy, his power, and his purpose. Let's bow our heads for a word of prayer. My prayer for you is that the peace and joy of God would dwell in your heart, and that the power and purpose of God would change your life. Lord, I ask that you would work in our hearts in this moment. Lord, that your spirit would speak to hearts. Lord, that your spirit would knock on the door. And Lord, that there would be some here today who seek you and find you. Who open that door to you and experience your presence. Pray these things in your name. The team's going to lead us in a final song, and I'm going to invite you to just remain in this posture of prayer. God's working in your heart and life, and you need to come and pray at the altar. Feel free if you need to pray there at your seats or if you'd like to sing in celebration of what Jesus has done for you. Whatever the need might be, respond to him as he's spoken.